Here we go. Here we go. Athlete Podcast. We are back again. Zach Esposito. And it is interesting, if nothing else, interesting to not see you wearing orange. So, <laughs> so tell me about that. I haven't worn the color red in 20-something years because of OU. And now I proudly wear the red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's it's it's a funny thing, man. We get we get super tribal about stuff, and when you really think about it, it's pretty silly. Um, but but what has it been like? I mean, because it is a, it is a transition. Like you, you have to unlearn like some of the things that you've been taught. Yeah, which is like the color red bat is bad. The color <laughs> red bad, you know, for for twenty something years. It's stupid, I know, but it's <laughs> but it 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 is ingrained in us. Oh, it's so true too. I mean, I didn't own anything in my house that was red in, in Oklahoma, you know, and now, you know, now I'm every color. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an adjustment. Um, but honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, for me, I mean, I love the sport of wrestling so much and I, I really geek out on this kind of things that, you know, um, you know, one of the big reasons I went to Oklahoma state was because of the resources and because of, you know, the broad, you know, amount of people throughout the entire country that's somewhat connected to Oklahoma state, you know, and now uh, I feel like I'm joined into an even bigger pool of people that I can learn from and, and, and really even help too. So it's super cool on that aspect, but yeah, getting over those things like, Hey, you know, the people from OU are actually my friends now. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the people from Iowa, they're my friends now, you know, Penn State, you know, those people are my friends now in Ohio. I mean, not like they weren't friends before or anything like that, but, you know, it's a different type of thing where, um, you know, you wanted to always beat them. And then yeah. now you really um, appreciate appreciate them and their work and, and, and really honestly tell you the truth, learn from them and offer them as much help as I can give to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and learn, learn, learn Like that, that for me has been w one of the things about your career that has impressed me the most is your constant ability to learn. Where does that come? I got a good idea. I, mean, I, know, I, <laughs> I do. I do. But I want you to say it. So yeah, I mean, Mike, I mean, we, we grew up together in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, I was the young kid running around the wrestling, mm -hmm. the edge school wrestling, Ernie Monaco, you know, they embedded this, this um, love and passion for learning. And then, you know, it really carried over to, to coach Buxton at, at Blair Academy and coach Fleckman and, and, and really Wayne Kay and all the, all this, the staff that joined at, at Blair, um, you know, and then obviously into at Oklahoma state where, um, you know, we, we had John who was, who was, you know, incredible and just the skill and everything. But not only that, I mean, I had a lot of Olympic guys that were around me um, or that I was around every day, you know, guys like Daniel Cormier and Jamil Kelly and, and um, Eric Guerrero and, and just Mola Wall ended up coming in later on and Teague Moore, you know, at, at one point um, at Oklahoma state, you know, we had three guys on the Olympic team that I was constantly learning from. So I'd go to training camps with them too. And and this was when Kale was in his heyday and watching them work out. And I don't know, I think just for me, I just always had that love and passion to, you know, to, to, to grow and to learn even more. I mean, um, yeah. You know what those act? It's, it's, it, here's, here's the frustrating part to me. Mm -hmm. Here's the frustrating part. We know 
because we grew up in a room where it was it, like, look, we had hard practices. Of course, don't be crazy. But there was a joy to to going and competing and going co- to wrestle at that at that club. There was something really happy and fulfilling about it. Mm-hmm. And I think what ha- here's what's frustrating to me is I see so many guys that are mid to low level high school and youth coaches that strip the joy out of that, mm-hmm. out of the training process, out of the, out of the competition process. They, they strip the joy out of it. How do we, how do we tell these coaches without making them totally soft? Like we're not going to sit here and play tails all day. Right. But how do we tell these youth coaches? Cause this is your job now, dude. Yeah. How do we tell these youth, youth coaches that there has to be joy in what they do? Otherwise, they're not going to succeed at the next level. Well, honestly, to tell you the truth, I think um, I think our leaders in the sport are doing a great job of it. Um, mm-hmm. Guys like you know David Taylor and and you know Daniel Cormier stepping in a lot more now, and um, Kyle Dake and Jordan Burrows. I mean, if you listen to any of their messages, you know, of course they're killers and they're they're going to win want to win and you know um, you put them all in the same room together and you know you could just feel feel that uh, you know that intensity coming out of them but um, I think every message that they send it is um, it is a learning aspect there is a joy to it there is a journey to it there is a process to it there is a stay in the moment um, you know win the little battles and and appreciate what you're going through um, you know, it's definitely more performance-based thinking than it is outcome-based thinking. And um, listen, man, I, I deal with it now as a kid. I think the cool thing is that I'm in a developmental job um, and I'm in the, I'm in a, I'm right in the thick of development with my son, who's 11 years sure. old, you know, and um, you know, it is frustrating. It is hard. You know, I don't know if it's because it's your son, um, but um, you know, I definitely have a lot more patience towards other kids than my my own son sometimes but you know i think just reminding ourselves that rome's really not built in a day um you know i look at my career and and see where i'm at you know and how i got to the spot that i'm at and i'm going like how the heck did i even get here it's pretty I think about it all the time <laughs> um i think about that all the time I'm like what did i do right this is funny like yeah so i mean um you know i think that's just you know, you're doing it for the right reason, but, you know, I think there are a lot of great coaches out there. Um, you know, just being in Colorado and seeing the old, the, the different clubs and different people, um, you know, they're building the right attitudes towards the kids. I mean, they're definitely, um, you know, uh, we just had guys from Valiant in, and I mm-hmm. mean, Eric Larkin and Angel Cejudo, I mean, those guys are, those guys are studs, man. Absolutely. And they're, they're, they are preaching the right thing. They really are. Exactly. Like doing the right thing. And, and listen, they're, they're patient, you know, I mean, look at, look at Kyler. Now he just won the regional tournament. He had a heck of a, you know, NYC tournament. And I think that you just don't know when it hits. And that's why I said, I look at my career. And if you, if you told me the position that I would be in or, or have been at Oklahoma state and, and won a national title there, like if you told me that as a freshman in high school, and I would be like, you're crazy. Like one, I was like, I was struggling to even make the team at Blair, and two, like, oh well, you know. yeah, but you also like 
to put things in perspective, you also were part of one of the greatest high school teams ever. Yeah, that, like, came, that, that came a little bit later. That came later on in, in, in my in my high school career. But if you look at me as a freshman, I mean, I was I was not I was not anything. You know, I was actually it was actually great. You know, the position that I was in because. I had so many guys ahead of me, like Corey Cooperman and Kurt Backus, and these guys were Fargo All-Americans, and I'm just this kid popping in. You know, Mako came in my sophomore year, but, you know, Murat Tamayev was a kid, you know, from Osadia that if, if you were known back then, you know, he was he was an incredible wrestler. Um, so I got to kind of hide and take my lumps without getting noticed, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it gave me a little bit of uh, freedom to, you know, you know, if I went out there and threw an inside trip and got pinned on my back, you know, like it, Ain't number it didn't go, it didn't go noticed as much, you know, maybe right. it and <laughs> got on to me after, but, you know, because I was able to do that and get pinned, I also got to, you know, go on to, to learn how to actually execute it the right way or, or, or plenty of other moves that, you know, gave me the freedom to fail. And I think that, you know, in development and especially even just, you know, listen, development and coaching is the same thing as almost being a parent. It's like, you, you got to give your, your kids the freedom to fail and you can't take it personal as a parent. And as a coach that if your kid does it, I mean, listen, I'm really involved in my kids wrestling um, in a sense of I, I am, and I'm not like, I, I should, I should make that clear. It's like, I know I have to give him space because it's his thing. And at the same time, like I want to be involved because like, I, I feel like I, maybe I could help you, but at the same time, it's, I feel like I know a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's just this balance, you know, balance between all of it. Um, but it's also a thing that's his thing. Um, so, but it's the same thing as a parent's like, you know, for me in my position, I think maybe the tide is shifting with coaches and their kids wrestling, you know, yes. Oh, 100%. 100 It's completely shifted of, um, of that where, um, I don't know if the kids feel the pressure like from their parents or, or from their dad that might've been a good wrestler or a great coach at the time. Um, but you know, you look at, you look, listen, there's a, there's a lot of good wrestlers right now whose parents were good wrestlers and they're yeah. and helping them coach. Right. Um, and like a guy like Larkin has a great, you know, great, resource an angel that's able to help his kids but you know there's a ton there's a but ton he of- but here's the cool thing about larkin this i don't know if many people get to peek under the hood at this eric larkin is more of a workout partner for his sons than he <laughs> is a co- yo i'm not kidding like he's just a drill dummy yeah and like that's an ncaa champion like yeah. that's a that's a pretty bad dude and Sohudo does 98 percent of the coaching 98%. Like he's just there going, mm, maybe not there. You know, like, and he's just, he's got such a good feel, but he's a, he's a workout partner, dude. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's all he wants to be. <laughs> that's nice. I mean, I hope my body can withstand it for another, <laughs> another eight years to be a workout partner for my son, you know, just cause it's, it's, it's fun to do. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that that shift is changing, Um, you know, where, where, you know, a lot more wrestlers, kids are, are not only wrestling but actually being successful you know and um why do you think that they weren't 20 30 years ago i don't know why you know i don't i i wish i knew i mean look at schwab's kids or 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 doing i think i don't know i i mean that's the that's the question maybe just you know they push too hard you know it could be you know I, i'm i i'm certain of it like 
I and I'm not gonna drop names, okay, because that would be shitty. But I remember having like I remember like high level coaches. Um, when I say high level coaches, division one coaches that I don't know, I uh, without saying names, I, you know, mid level division one coaches would run their kids into the ground, had them in the wrestling room at the college at like 12 and like getting their heads kicked in. Yeah. I think that um, maybe, maybe like we're just not taking a personal, like maybe, maybe some older coaches could have taken, you know, like, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that I'm, I'm more excited that my son is, is in it than not be in it. Dude. And I think that's a big, I think that's a big win. I think that's a big shift. You know, it's like, listen, I do, I do like, you know, videos of technique videos and I have my son on them and, and honestly, sometimes I'm teaching my son as I'm teaching the in the video, I'm teaching yeah. him to do it, you know, and people are probably like, man, his son's going to be so good because he's up with him every day. I'm like, it's not really like that. I mean, mm-hmm. we're definitely working technique. We're definitely working some things, but I'm not up his butt. Like, no. and maybe think that I am. Um, but yeah, I think that's the shift. I think the shift of just that. You know, they're not, I think they're more appreciative that they're in the sport. I think that they want them to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's not the end all be all like, you know, my relationship with my son is, and I, I try to take this approach with him and is that it's something that we can share in rather than. That's right. Well, the, the, you I know, can't hear he's not good. Right. Yeah. Here's the, here's the beautiful part. My thought process is this. I'm excited that I'll have somebody to watch NCAAs with in a couple of years, right? Like I just, when he, when he's home, like, all right, Hey, let's go out to NCAAs. Cool. All right. You know, and like, he'll be fired up to watch as much as I will. Right. And we get, that's just a thing that we'll do. And like, I, that's what I'm excited about. That's the only reason I give a shit. For us. He already, he already won. Yeah. Like one of my best friends back in Stillwater, um, his name's Matt Holiday. He played baseball for the Cardinals and won won a World Series with them. But his one son was the number one draft pick, and he he went from like low A to triple A one year, and probably will start for the Orioles next year. And he has got another son that's below him, that's a junior, that's number one overall ranked baseball player in the country, could probably go top five out of the draft too. And it's like going like, how the heck? And 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 the relationships they have with each other is unbelievable. But of what I saw, you know, how they, how they do it is like, they, they really just share in it more as a joy uh, than anything. Now it's baseball and maybe like in wrestling, when you lose, like there's a, there's lot a little bit more personal. Yeah, for sure. More personal, maybe, maybe, you know, but like in baseball, you know, you I don't get, know. You get rocked. If you're on the mound and you get rocked for four runs in an yeah. inning. Yeah. But I, personal. I always appreciated it of, of his approach you know, to it too, you know, like how he was able to, um, you know, really, I mean, they sit down they watch it together, you know, they go over to the field, they hit together, they go do all that kind of stuff together. And and I thought that, I think that even if you asked him, it's like the time that he gets to spend with them is more important than really what they're doing and, and, and get into the league and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely cool to see. And I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're viewing the sport in a different way than of life and death to actually, you know, some other, you know, you know I've, I've been around Steve Mako where it was like life and death, you know, and, and, and there's a little bit of that approach that was even helpful 
you know, to, to me at times, but, you know, I don't know how healthy or sustainable it actually is. And I think the approach now that we're seeing from some of the best wrestlers in the world, um, you know, I think that it's, um, it's a good lesson that everyone's learning, you know, it's a journey, it's a process, you know, the more and more I'm around, um, these high level wrestlers, I'm like, damn, it's hard to do this. It's It's really hard to be the really represents really hard, you know, so hard, especially now, especially today, like forget it. Joe, you got something for him? Yeah. How does, how does that kind of thought process of, you know, we're talking a lot about younger level, you know, wrestlers, but how does that lead into kind of the work that you do with some of the senior level guys? Has that kind of changed some of your views on how you kind of bring development to that as well? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you just think of the process throughout all of it. I think, I think it's super cool. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the big thing is like, you realize these young kids can do a lot of things that these older guys can do. They just not, might not be strong enough yet, or they just might not be mentally mature enough yet. Um, but you're able to actually take the same skill. I mean, we do a lot at the Olympic Training Center um, when we have our developmental camps or senior level camps where we have developmental kids in um, that are rubbing elbows with these high level guys. And um, I mean, they're on like fast track, you know, to, to be be really good um and um you know it's just the other thing too they're just they have so much accessibility to to everything um i don't i don't know how much it actually feels like so so like i kind of think about development in the sense of like you're almost developing through osmosis like the more you get these guys around the high level guys you know you know and what is rubbed off of them is more valuable than even me showing them a specific technique to a low single leg or a sweep single leg or whatever, whatever technique it might be, you know, because you go in here and you watch all these kids drill and they're all, they're all drilling like high level people, you know? Um, but there's something else that rubs off from those older guys onto the younger guys that like really separates them from. Can I stop you there? Yeah. What part of the sport do you think I agree with you. It, it Osmosis is a good way to put it. It just kind of permeates to them, right? What part of the sport do you think rubs off the most? Is it like the technical aspect? Is it the the way no, that they train? I think it, I think it's the joy, like the lifestyle. I think that's what rubs off it the most. I mean, you read, you know, you read books on on, you know, like, you know, why is this area so good at this sport? You know, and you think about Russia and Dagestan and Osadia and, you know, and now you look at America and Pennsylvania and everything. It's just like there's a lifestyle to it. And that lifestyle rubs off on on them. It's like they go into the sport thinking that I know what the pinnacle of the sport is and this is the goal to get to. You know, I think that's the big thing. I mean, when you put, you know, there's a 13 or 14 or 15 year old and he walks in a room and he's watching Jordan Burroughs drill or Kyle Dake or David Taylor or whoever it might be, you know, it's like right there, they're going like, this is the pinnacle. And this is like the idea of, 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 um, of being the best. You know, I think that is the biggest thing that rubs off, you know, I mean, the skill, all that kind of stuff comes. I mean, I mean, heck now these kids, got Instagram that you could learn any wrestling move or technique. You could watch a 
live event in in some random country that you know didn't even have a, a video recorder back when we were you know, <laughs> you know so but i think that's the biggest thing that rubs off is the lifestyle the love of the sport the the um the work ethic um and the approach to it you know and the approach to, it, to the sport and and um yeah you know that's the mindset is like you know usa just won back-to-back -back world championships this is this is who we are you know that's that pretty cool zach yeah. like that's pretty cool because it was not always like that no i mean we're in a we're in a golden era right now yeah and i think that i mean that's a that's you know attributed to the coaches throughout the country i mean i just went to the u15 pan am championships and and um listen man when i was competing in seniors like we never had personal coaches go to our stuff let alone now with my u15s and we got club coaches at the u15 championships you know so their involvement is is is, is a lot bigger uh the funding you know has been helpful i mean everything i mean we mean we've you know the country has come together is the reason why we're doing so well it's not just one organization or one place or one this it's just like no together the whole yeah country. i think it started with zeke though right i mean like i think i think the idea of like okay wait first of all that was right around your your era right like you were you were competing around that time when zeke took over and i remember you coming out and doing a camp with me one one time just going, something's got to change. So, and, and, it, and it wasn't like you were pointing a finger at one person or another, but something definitely changed, right? Yeah, like the brand, the brand came because we had clubs. It was a 50 mile radius club, you know, mm -hmm. and you had your Iowa Hawkeye wrestling club, the Cowboy wrestling club. Mm -hmm. I think of, I think there's so many different factors that come into it that I don't think it's just the only the RTC model. I think the RTC model has has given universities a brand and, and a brand that like, hey, this is what we're actually trying to do. And I think that that was helpful. I think obviously getting younger kids into, you know, um, high level coaching, high level partners. And like I said, it's not so much of just the teaching as much as, you know, just being around it and just that's mm -hmm. new expectation. I think, I think all that was important. I think all that has really contributed to it. Um, the other thing too, is I think it's just gotten so competitive too, of the sense of every college now is, has gotten really competitive Yeah. You know? and with that competitiveness, it just, it raises up their communities, you know, of just, you know, you look at, you know, I, I've given those examples of, of, of colleges that when I was competing, you never thought about them. No, you know, literally we're like, you know, it was a weekend off. I mean, yeah. we, we constantly trained through the week because, you know, seven, it was a seven minute match. And that seven minute match was literally, you know, it was literally a day off. Now there's no days off. There's no weekends off. There's none of that kind of stuff off. Now you're actually seeing like, you know, maybe we need to lower the season, you know, maybe we need to lower the matches. Maybe we need to, you know, how can we protect our guys from injury? How can we, you know, do this kind of stuff? So I think that it was just like, it came just to a head. I think the RTCs and and the club system definitely helped put a brand on things, help give guys money that they could stay in the sport, the living the dream fund, you know, the Novagrasses that come in that, that and, and all the other donors that have come in to, to help, help us 
you know, keep our guys in the sport, give them a carrot to fight for. Um, and then, and then you, you add the competitiveness of the coaches that have gone around and not just been at the big universities, but actually gone to, you know, the other universities and made a name for themselves. So, um, Terry Colot got Campbell good. Yeah. Like, yo, what? Like camp Campbell's camp Campbell was good. Right. Like, that's a big deal, dude. And when you, like you said, you don't have a weekend off. It keeps you pretty sharp, dude. Yeah. Keeps you sharp. And like I said, I mean, college coaches are making money now too. Yeah. You know, there's so that. No, you're not making $50,000 anymore as a college right. coach. You know, you're right. making a living. Yeah. You know, we're not making football. You're not making football coaches. Well, like, no, but that's fine. But I think, I think that's the, I think the only missing link right now, honestly, the missing link is the money. You're right. College coaches are making money for sure. They're not struggling. They don't have to go do camps just to make ends meet. I get that. But we still are not profitable, right? We're at, at any level, we're really not profitable. That is the is the final step. As far as I'm concerned, we have to find a way. And now look, I'm pretty sure you weren't an economics major. Neither was I. (laughs) So, but, but if there was a way, if there was a way right now for you to say, all right, here's how we make this sport profitable. How do we do it? Cause it's, it's it's complicated. It's not, it's not an easy, Oh, we just got to do this. It's not that easy. It's really hard. I mean, there's wrestling organizations that are profitable. Flow, you know, for sure. There's, there's, there's. They found the niche. They found how to do it. You know, no doubt. And I think wrestlers now are finding their own way of making their own money. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, but as a sport as a whole, you know, you're going to have to, you know, be able to hit the mainstream. You're going to have to be able to, you know, obviously profit from events that. You know, if you're going to create professional athletes, then you create a professional, you know, type of deal that generates money um, mm-hmm. that's able to pay the athletes. You know, who who knows where it leads to? Um, you know, of of what's going to be the professional organization? Um, it's so hard. There, there's Dude, a, it's lot of, so hard. a lot of those things. I mean, I think that um, you know we branched out so much to other other things that you know the other other people have been able to generate and make revenue. Um, but how can you, you do it? I mean, I don't know. You, you look at the professional sports and it's just, you know, where can you do it? I think everyone jumps in there. It feels like wrestling sometimes is like an open market sure. you know, where, where other professional sports, there's that one governing body. And then, you know, they create the revenue they give the revenue out to professionals, UFC, whatever it might be, you know, and I always felt like wrestling was that opening market that different organizations jump in there. And I don't want to get into it and, and maybe say something that I don't really know is to be true or, or, or sound in a way, but yeah, I think that is the next step is how do you create a full professional platform that is able to ge- generate revenue um, and sell so- you know, um, and it, and it not be an open market, but I think, uh, you know, like you said, I'm not an economics major, but <laughs> I will say this though. I think that, and this is a theory of mine, and I think it's something that 
you know, as a college coach, it, it hurt or, or maybe I felt a different way about it, but um, it's also the world and the way that we're going in. I think that some of this self-branding and if you could do it in a way where it doesn't affect you um, and in the way of pressure or just time or just whatever it might be, I think it's going to be a big reason why guys do continue to wrestle you know, for multiple cycles in the Olympics. I mean, you know, when you have a brand and you're identified as a wrestler, um, the things that you do, whether it be camp, whether it be videos, whether it be merchandise, whether it be whatever it is, you know, it's uh, speaking engagements, you know, or club. I mean, your platform is built off of you as a wrestler. And I think those are things that as people get older, you know, or some of these kids that are that are realizing it and seeing it, um, it's going to be a way of profit for them as they get sure. old. You know, well, look at DT, right? Like, look at David, right? Like, I mean, that's you know, here's the thing. When John, when John won his second Olympic gold medal, mm-hmm. I mean, it, he 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 took a pay cut to go win, <laughs> to go win another gold medal. You yeah. know, like. So, but, but that's the same thing that could happen to, to, you know, other people. I don't know because right. me, so established, you know, like Jordan Burroughs, when he retires, I'm sure he's so established. Okay, yeah. That, um, you know, but he, if he keeps on, but the, if David and Jordan keep on winning, understand that they are going to make a lot more money than the year after, right? Cause the year after, John, the year after John won it in 92, he actually started making money as a head coach. Well, it just would have been, it, it would be, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've been around John so much. He's a pretty, you know, to himself person. He's not a flaunter. He's not a person that's going to go out there and put himself out there. That's going to put pressure on himself or take his, take his, um, his eye off the vision. I think now maybe kids are definitely, you know, they're not just tunnel vision only on one thing. They're actually right. seeing this as an opportunity that it can create other things later on. Um, I think, you know, so it'd be surprising to see. I mean, listen, even when John wrestled, he had Brute, he had Dolomar. I mean, right. there were those things. It just, he just, there was no social media for him to go post it. You know, right. if there was social media back then, you know, I mean, Brute was going to make him probably a, a social media platform and manage it for him. You know, you know, those things would have happened because, you know, it generated revenue, know, revenue for, for you, you know. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see how the older, older generation of guys would have did that. They might have said, no, no, I would have never done it, never done it. And all of a sudden see some dollar signs and be like, okay, just you do it. And <laughs> you know, so those be there. But you know, right now you're starting to see, I mean, a management of it. And I don't think they see it as pressure uh, pressure. I think they see it as opportunity to grow their brand, to spread their message of of what they feel and and all those kind of things. I mean. You know, I wasn't a person that was really active or social on social media. And then at the same time, I just was like, hey, man, like there's some knowledge you could share on this. There's some other things you could build off of. I mean, people people enjoy it. So you might as well kind of kind of get into it. I think it's a really interesting point there. And and one of the uh, guests we've had on our show before, Caden Henschel, he's, uh, you know, a D2, I think D2 wrestler. And, you know, he talks about, He's not scared to post a video of losing at, at a tournament. And, you know, he talks about how that vulnerability helps connect him with his audience because 
they can relate to that fact, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't post something I lost. You knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> 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 <That's right. laughs> There's no chance you would. There's oh no chance. I, I hate it. I have a joke with my EAP guys, like my resident athletes. You know, they're like, Coach, we we searched your name up on YouTube. I'm like, he's like, you lost every match that's on YouTube. I'm like, I didn't lose much in college. And it just so happens that every match that I lost is on YouTube. Like my kids think I'm terrible. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I think you get opportunities for it. I don't know. I mean, I still, I still struggle with, you know, is this cringy to put this on or, or is it arrogant to put this on or are you, um, you know, you know, what, what are you doing? Put this, are you, are you, you know, but then I get, I don't know. I think it's just, listen, it's the way the world is right now. And I think that this is how, this is definitely, this is not going away. It's not going away at all. So we might as well embrace it and and, and have a healthy way of doing it or, or trying to have a healthy way of doing it than, than any other, you know, type sure. of type. Um, all right. So let's, uh let's, let's gear this towards, development that is your job your job is to develop wrestlers through this sport yeah it's it's tough though i've been i've been so i've been in in this job for four months now and um so i really have like two two parts of the job is like one i i have a residence program where it's called the eap program where um, i'm given so many beds and i'll have you know either seniors in high school or gap year kids move here for a full year and, um, you know, develop underneath our, our, our system here, you know, in the sense of like, you know, the multiple training camps throughout the year where, you know, you're a part of the daily practices, um, you know, the competition schedule of going to these college opens. So, you know, we've been to three college opens this fall already. Um, we're going to France in January for a tournament for the Nice tournament and a training camp. And then, you know, so, um, you know, the EAP program, the residence program, is a little bit different in the sense of I have them for a year and I'm trying to get them prepared for, you know, their college and, and there on after and help teach them the skills that could kind of, that will help you be, you know, prepared treat yourself like a professional athlete, you know, your strength conditioning, your, your sports science, your nutrition, you know, your sports psychiatry, you know, some of the resources that we have at the United States Olympic, you know, training centers, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, but you just got to create the right environment, you know, with the right wrestlers that, you know, fit that mold. Um, and then, on, then outside of that, you know, my job after that is, is developmental coach and, you know, it's not the sense of say what you're doing at the high school or what you're doing at a club or, or that things. Um, it's definitely an involvement in the management type of sense of, yeah, so I'm running developmental camps throughout the year. You know, I've had, we've had three camps here in the, in the past four months where, you know, we've had, you know, groups, numbers of the top kids in the country come out to the training center. And, and that, that's a part of development. Um, and continuing to have those U17 world team camps, um, U20 world team camps, U23 world team camps, you know, there's that sense. But then on top of it, you know, there's a communication um, of management 
with the coaches, with athletes, you know, throughout the country. So um, I think that that's a thing that I value a lot about is that I respect and I'm grateful for, you know, the effort and work that coaches throughout the country really put in, you know, and it's up to me also to, you know, provide help for them also and, and provide support for them. Um, so my relationships with them, whether me come out and try and help them, whether they call me up and say, Hey, I want this, you know, can this guy come out to a training camp or can you do this or can you do that? You know, it's a, it's extreme involvement. I mean, I think, um, you know, my first, my first trip that I went on was not a senior level. It was not a U23 or U20. It was a U15, you know, because recognizing that at a grassroots, you know, this is an important age group. You know, these are the guys that are going to be sooner or later on a U17 world team and maybe someday be on the Olympic team. It's where that journey kind of starts, right? At that 15, 16, you know, year old, um, you know, passion. So, um, it, 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 I'm getting a better grasp on everything, um, especially being out here and, and really doing the job the way that I feel is how it should be run, you know, mm-hmm. uh, communication with RTCs and communication with coaches of, of kids on campus, like, you know, Alex Facundo is going to the Nice tournament, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Varner about him, you know, what, what do I need to help him with and what do I need to do with him? Um, hey, this kid's committed to this college and he wants to come out his senior year or a gap year to do the program here. Well, yeah, there's communication with that coach and and and, and working with them on his development to make sure they're on track. So, you know, it's a lot of um it's a lot of communicating. Um, and it's a lot of just, you know, I think you I think you have to have a person in this position that's not power hungry in a sense mm-hmm. of they're willing to, you know, listen, if the United States does well, um, you know, we're going to do well, you know, so that's kind of the approach that I take to it. Yeah. It's, um, it's managing the managers. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And at the same time, I mean, you are doing actual nuts and bolts, um, developing because, you know, I'll have guys out here all the time. I mean, I had a group out here in October, for a senior trick camp, we had about 12 kids come out. And then in November, we had another group of kids come out. Um, Daniel Cormier sent some guys out also for a couple of days. We have another one in January. So any opportunities we get where people come out, you know, my goal is like once a month being able to have, you know, guys out here, you know, kids out here. They're um, so skilled right now. They're, 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 these high school kids are so skilled right now, like across the board, like the, the level, you know, we talked about the, the college kids, how there's no, there's no easy weekends anymore. So well, I, I kind of want to like touch base on that. I was talking to Bill Zadek about this the other day and I don't, it bothers me sometimes to see high school kid takes out so-and-so. Mm, now, mm-hmm. if you would, if you were in Russia and you got a 19 year old kid that takes out a, a senior level guy, they don't go, they just go, hey, this kid is good. This yeah. is a kid that's good. And it's mm-hmm. almost expected that yeah. they're like, it's going to happen just when and who it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Bahrainian, you know, the guy that wrestles with, you know, yeah. Ashdinov of going, they expect that a young guy's going to come in and, and take guys out. 
But in the United States, it's this wow factor. Wow, how did this high school kid come in here and qualify for the Olympic trials? Wow, how did this high school kid, high school kid, high school kid? And I'm just going like, hey, no, no, no. Like, we got to embrace that. It's, he's a highlight. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Conor Mirasola is real good at wrestling. Now, honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, they put the pressure on the older guys to be like, you know, if I was an older guy and I'm wrestling a younger guy, I can't look at this kid as a high school kid. Mm-hmm. I got to look at this kid as competition. And mm-hmm. if the older guys are looking at them as a high school kid and feeling, you know, pressure and nervous about losing to a high school kid, it's like, yo, you got to flip it because this kid, this kid's good. Yeah. How old he is. You know, Satya won, you know, world championships at 19. Kyle Snyder won a, a world championships at 19, 20 years old. You know, it's like, no, they're just good. Mm-hmm. Forget the age, forget the high school, forget the the tag that comes along with them, you know, and just embrace it going, this is going to happen more often in the United States, guys. It's supposed to. Yeah. And, and listen, that's the thing, too. It's like the way that our system is in this country, it's set up that it's supposed to be this way now. Yeah. So the same way that's in Russia of going, yeah, this 19, 20-year-old kid, it's like this young guy, it's like, hey, they expect that. Yeah. And those older guys that are wrestling them, they don't they don't see this kid as as a young kid. They see him as just competition. I think that's in the United States, um, we need to start appreciating that rather than label a high school kid like it's this big surprise. It's going, no, this is going to happen more often now. Yeah, that kid, Mersel, he, he had a great weekend. Yeah, He's, little ball. I mean, all all these guys that are that are popping in there. I mean, yeah. look, you know, they talk about Marcus Blaze beating, you know, like um, you know, Ramos. The kid from Purdue, yeah. And then you go to Ironman tournament, you take second. I'm not saying that to knock on any of them. No, it's not not knock up on Davino. It's not knock on on Blaze. What it is is like this is a reality. This yeah. is where we're at right now. So, um, it, it it's definitely you know uh, clickbait. And, and that kind of stuff to be like high school kid takes out so-and-so i mean like hey you don't you don't you don't have that tag i mean just start getting rid of that tag because it's just going to be you know it's going to happen more often it's sure. happen more often. yeah I, I gotta tell you it's it's kind of cool to watch because you know and, and it's also like it's funny <laughs> I, I had a conversation about this on a different podcast with with lawrence but Here's the thing. People think that that's a new thing. It is not a new thing. Ask ask your boy Branch, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah, Branch yeah. Branch lost to Damian Hahn at the U.S. Open after winning an NCAA title. Damian was in high school at the time. Just wasn't broadcast, you know. Well, right. there, there wasn't a broadcast to put it on there. No, no. You know, which, uh, you know, I'm sure Branch will be happy about. So. I'm sure he would too. <laughs> but I think that I mean. It's it's right. I mean, what Dave Schultz took second as a yeah as a high school kid. School, you know, Kerry uh, Colot. I mean, yeah. Kubo, you know, Kubo won Midlands and in, in, as a as a young as a young person. I mean, Steve Mako. You know, yes, we've had we've had Chance Marsteller. I mean, we could rattle off a rattle like, off all. Of them. It's just yeah. it's definitely broadcast a lot more now, and I just. um I don't know. It just, I guess it always kind of strikes a nerve is just going like, let's just get rid of the awe factor or the wow factor and just go like, Hey, yeah, this is, this is just reality now. It's like, it's expected. expected. So who, who then, if, if we're all deciding that these are some of the most skilled 
young wrestlers that we've ever seen. Who's really impressed you the most so far? I, like if you're looking at it from just a purely skill performance level. Oh, pure skill. I mean, yeah. Oh, there's quite a bit. I mean, um, you know, I think, I think what's, what's impressive is, is, um, I think sometimes when the younger guys that are up at the higher weight classes, sometimes mm. it's just because of pure strength difference, you know, a guy like Mirasola being able to wrestle a 20 something year old, just because of the pure strength, you know, just the physical attribute, you know, um, skill wise. I mean, to see some of Lil Doll's reattacks are unbelievable. Joe Sealy being able to, I mean, that's, that's also impressive too, is, is, is seeing, you know, Sealy go out there and be able to hand fight with a Marinelli is, is impressive. I mean, especially those middleweight guys. Um, and I don't know whether there's a theory of whether a younger guy can compete better at a lighter weight or, or a heavier weight compared to a middleweight. Um, then you got a guy like Valencia that's able to compete. And I think there's, there's guys that are not competing in the senior level that are staying within their age group that are maybe even better. You know what I mean? You know, guys like um, like Blaze or Davino or Jax Flores or, you know, um, I mean, I'm a firm believer of staying in your age level, you know, and, and, you know, if you're good enough to go compete at, um, at the Olympic stage or at Olympic trials as a senior, like, you, you know, be good enough to win that U-20 World Championships too, mm. or U-20 Championships too. I think that, you know, there's there's always, not to say that they won't do that no. too, I think that um, you know, those are those opportunities. But I don't mean they're all they're all really impressive to to just say it. I think that, you know, and we're seeing the cream of the crop. I mean, listen, there might be a guy when they're, you know, midway through college or right after college that breaks out and you're just like, you know, this wasn't that kid that was 16 years old and making these world teams or 17. No doubt. Yeah. Those are fun though. Like the kid that like look at Jordan. Right. I mean, like Jordan Burroughs. Yeah. You know, I mean, he wasn't lights out in high school. He was good. Right. But he wasn't lights out like he, he was when he was at the end of his college career. No, Jordan will tell you that was one of his biggest motivations that he wasn't, you know, wasn't recruited. You know, the best wrestler on his block, you know, so. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. That's such a great way to put it. And it's probably true, you know. Well, I mean, he said that he got recruited in Nebraska because his neighbor got recruited in Nebraska. They're like, wait, you wrestle too? Yeah, I won the state championship. All right, well, come on. You know, I think that uh Shit, you weren't you weren't the best wrestler at your table at, at dinner, right? I mean, like David's pretty good, man. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll we'll see, we'll see um how it but skill wise, I mean, but the resources that they have now, the videos and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, it's impressive to watch. Mm. Got anything for him, Joel, before we uh, get to those quick questions? Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you talked about working with kind of some of the individual clubs, you know, as they, you know, leave your, your purview there in Colorado. Um, what does that process look like to kind of help coach and develop a wrestler when you don't have access to them on a daily basis? Maybe you don't like, you don't know them. If you don't see them at all, all the time what does that process look like yeah i think you know trying to create you know i've kicked around ideas you know with actually some of the, the coaches that are in some of those leagues you know like PL league and stuff talking to lawrence and and um a couple others like you know how how do i create a better outreach is it is it putting together 
um, you know, media that, that can actually reach the, the, the media, meaning like, you know, videos and technique breakdown and things that we're looking at, you know, at USA Wrestling, you know, that they should be looking at, you know, for their guys. I think being able to share information like that, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I get pretty local around here in Colorado to be able to, to get out and, and see other clubs and people, you know, I am at the same time, only one person and trying to make sure I also keep a marriage, you know, but, um, you know, solid, yeah, point. I mean, solid point. I think, I think that, um, the communicating with the coaches is probably the bigger part that even though you might not be affecting the kid directly, you're able to maybe influence through, through other ways. And, and that's what I mean. I mean, I lean hard on, on those coaches, on those club coaches and, and listen, those club coaches are also very welcoming and very open, um, to be able to do it. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've been lucky. I've been hanging out with Angel and, and, and Larkin in the past, you know, I've probably seen them three times in the past month and a half, you know, so to be able to kind of, you know, maybe not directly get to the kid, but being able to communicate with their coach that it goes that way is, is pretty, but I've been thinking about other ways of how, of how to do this, of how to, how to uh, be an influence to them. You know? Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's important now that we have these abilities to reach people instantaneously, mm -hmm. right. Especially video calls. No reason we, you can't run joint practices, you yeah. know, was time permitting, right. You should be able to, I mean, shit, we were doing it. I mean, Coleman, I had, I piped Coleman in when I was back in Jersey, you know, back in like 2015, I used to pipe him into practices. You know, just all right. Here's Coleman Scott on the, on the TV. Like it's it's really, it's we we've got to take advantage of this soon, right? Because it's it's, I think uh, it's it's probably going to be the future. All right, we got to right, we gotta, we got to get going here. So let's run you through some of these quick questions that we do every week. Oh, Espo, here we go. What's the best wrestling shoe ever made? Best wrestling shoe ever made? Oh man, ones that were free. Those are the best ones. <laughs> Fair enough. What's your favorite best wrestling shoe? I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I was an Adidas guy back in the day, so I, I always liked, you know, some of those like the Adidas. There was these attacks that were really, really good that me and Pendleton used to like stockpile them just because when they burn through them, it always seems like the best shoe they make, they stop making it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to make some good ones back in the day, like Colots, or there was a foot sweep before Colots, or yeah. it's really comfortable. Um, you know, I, I I haven't worn those Asics, like the ones that all the Russians wear and Japanese guys wear. My ankles the EXEOs, dude. Was probably pretty brittle for those. Yeah, dude, my son loves them. Like I just I got a pair of the the blue, the Russian blues for him. He's gonna be so fired up. Best pair though are the ones that are free. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the sport of wrestling, what would it be? Oh, that generates money so that we actually be all professionals. That's easy. Yeah. That's yeah. a good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, we act like we're broke. We're not broke. I mean, we're, no. we're doing all right. It's just, no, you just got to create. Um, that and maybe sometimes that we're just not our own worst enemy, you know. Um, oh my God. Yes. 
we got to put aside sometimes personal agendas to be, you know, to, to evolve the sport, to better the sport, um, to make it more mainstream, um, think outside the box. I know? literally had this conversation with my son last night. It's volleyball beyond ABC for the national championships. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, that that's what really stinks because during COVID we had, you know, the NCAA championships were supposed to be in a football stadium. Mm -hmm. Thousand tickets were sold, and it was like it felt like we were on the right track. And then COVID hit, and I wish that they could go back to that, you know, and revisit that, and and try to maybe do that again. Yeah, I don't know you, but the 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 we shoot ourselves in the foot thing, like at every turn, like we are we are such creatures of habit that we I don't like change, you know, at all. So. Yeah, that that's the one. My son and I literally spent an hour talking about that last night. He's like, "Why don't we just do this?" I'm like, oh, "I know. I've been screaming about it for 35 years. I know. I'm exhausted with it." Change is hard. Change is hard, and when you have something going good, it's hard to change it. You know, it's like I mm -hmm. said. Sometimes it's nice to be able to, you know, make mistakes where eyes aren't on you to mm -hmm. figure it out. Well, we kind of had a platform that things were going good, things are going great. You know, and, and sometimes maybe it, it hurts us and prevents us from changing. Yeah, 100%. All right, last one. Who is on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling? Like the United States or the world? United States. Oh, United States. Well, you got to put John. You got to mm -hmm. put John Gable. Mm -hmm. Kale. Um, John Gable, Kale, Schultz. All right, so that's four. He's on Mount Rushmore. Five, four, four. four. <laughs> I mean, all right. So Schultz. Yeah. All right, I like I mean, it. So many, there's so many you could throw on there. You know, uh, I mean, you got Baumgartner. You got, you got. There's so many. I mean, I don't you know, know if Baumgartner's hair could fit. Thing, it's like you couldn't build in a whole new Rushmore. You know, on Mount Rushmore because it just wouldn't make sense. So you always have to go towards the pioneers of the sport. Sure. So guys like Taylor, guys like Burroughs, guys like all these guys, it's like, hey, you're just too new. You know, <laughs> you're too young. Sorry, bud. You missed the boat. <laughs> Listen, this is a historical thing. You know, <laughs> think about people that pioneered the sport. And I think those are, those are some, you know, even Kale could be young for it too. Um, but, um, He's body of work though it's pretty impressive i know he's a guy that you know they they they're gonna create it you know yeah. but uh, yeah so many so many that's, that's a tough question good i'm glad all right joel thank you so much for coming on and zach thank you especially i really do appreciate your time um you know look if there's any way that people need to get a hold of you how do they get a hold of you on instagram yeah instagram is the best yeah okay that's awesome that's the best way Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Later, bud.